0: Hi, my name is Angel Khan and you're listening to the Ask People podcast by Samuel Rocks.
1: and welcome to another episode of the Ask People podcast. I'm your host Xavier Rox and today I'm lucky enough to have Ejel Khan here with me who is a coordinator at the Muslim LGBT network and he also has a substantial background in multimedia production. Hey Ejel, thank you so much for coming to the Ask People podcast. How are you? Uh
0: hello. Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me by
1: the way. No, it's perfect. Thank you for coming on the show. So I'm going to jump into the questions about, you know, what you actually do. And when I was reading about you and getting information and doing my research about you, I find it actually quite inspiring because this is a subject that a lot of people try to avoid, um, especially going uh, anything to do with, with LGBT or, or anything to do with Muslims or putting them together. I find that people have a tendency to try and subtract them and not necessarily talk about it as much. Um, even in Caribbean families um, we all have I don't know what it is it could be religion that stops people from talking about um, to their kids about sexuality and and whether or not they accept it or not but just tell me a little bit about your background in when you were growing up and what influenced you to actually get into this
0: well, my background is South Asian. So, you know, I've got roots in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Yeah. When we talk about South Asia, well, it used to be called the Indian subcontinent. Well, yes. It used to be the British Raj. They yeah. used to rule India, Pakistan, what is now Bangladesh, that area. Yeah. And now it's India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, obviously independent countries. But now they call it South Asia as a continent. Yeah. That's what it, used to co- it used to be called the Indian subcontinent. Yeah, that's that's my roots. But obviously, they're not just Muslims in that part of the world. There are Hindus. Sikhs, Buddhists. It's the birthplace of Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism, by the way, yes. India. You know, modern day sure. Pakistan, you know, is um, was part of um, the whole Hindu culture, Indus Valley civilization, and Sikhism was born in Pakistan. And obviously, India with its roots in Buddhism and Hinduism. So we've got a mix of that, us, you know, immigrants from that. So that was my background. It was Muslim, but culturally, we were heavily influenced by. Um, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism, like I said, you know, those cultures were part of my culture too, even though I'm Muslim, like I said, culturally, I'm from that part of the world. So I was very much aware of that. And Christians too, we have a large Christian community in South Asia, you know. So um, for me, um, I grew up in this country primarily, but I've been back, you know, to my parents' country of origin. Um yeah. I'm from Luton in Bedfordshire near London. But obviously I've got relatives in London as well. In East London, I've got a lot of relatives. And I grew up in London too because we used to visit them, you know, all the time. So that's my roots. I'm a Muslim, I'm South Asian but British, born. Um, And um, for me, um, it was really after 9-11 that I really um, kind of uh, went into um, activism in a big way because I felt, you know ours was a voice that wasn't heard gay muslims
1: explain to me what an activist is and does for anybody who doesn't understand what an activist does because um for myself obviously i like to do a lot of research so for me i'm always searching and trying to find out what people are doing but for anybody who doesn't do research ijo tell the people what an activist actually does
0: Actually, someone who works on a grassroots level. So, you'll work with different community groups, you campaign. Sometimes, you know, you might be working in advocacy. You know, you'll be helping people if they have a need, say, you know, be it migrant communities, you know, immigrant communities. For me, I work in the LGBT arena. As a campaigner, you know, I'll work grassroots level. So, I'll be out there highlighting some of the work we do. And showcasing our work as well. It's not just like holding a banner and saying we're gay Muslims and we're here. Because you have to kind of interact with different groups, be it um, religious educa- uh, you know, institutions or educational institutions. So it's multifaceted um, in the way that you're know, you approach to work. So I'm a grassroots activist, meaning I'm out there campaigning for the rights of LGBT individuals and other activists who work in different fields and arenas, do similar work, be it racism or you know um work, you know working for migrants you know you're highlighting issues in a certain community which might not necessarily be out there nowadays, obviously a lot of it is done on social media because you know that's your outlet, but before social media, I was doing it out on the street, you know I was working with like I said those organizations I mentioned earlier, yeah. And grassroots work, just interacting with people. Like, and I'm speaking with you. I'm gonna talk about some of my experiences and trying to bring that to the whole. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Interact with different types of people. So not just like you know, I'm I'm the coordinator of the Muslim LGBT network, but we're open to allies. Yes. So you don't have to be Muslim or LGBT to join the group. Like you, you're an ally. You know, and you support other people and you highlight people through your work in the yeah, media. Yeah, definitely. You know, so it's that as well. You know, you can be an ally and join our group. You don't have to necessarily be from you know our community. But that, that's what campaigning is about, really. Trying to garner support from different um, you know, points of view, different communities and right. just being out there, you know showing you visible and trying to bridge the gap between communities, you know it's not just through education, sometimes it's just through friendship as well, yeah, you know befriending people from different, different backgrounds as well, you know
1: What made you actually get involved with the the Muslim, particularly, LGBT network, what made you... Was there something that happened or was there an experience that made you realise that this is something that I want to do? It Because experiences make people change automatically, makes them think that life should be lived in a different way. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to be part of the Muslim LGBT network.
0: Well... You know, I'm a gay man myself. I happen yeah. to be Muslim. Mm-hmm. I'm part of the LGBT community anyway. And I live in Britain, a country with a lot of freedoms. So if I lived in somewhere, say, like Saudi Arabia, yeah, you know, you know, you could be punishable by death for being an out, out gay cast. person yeah. or, or, you know, being, you know, from the LGBT community. So uh, it's different in different Muslim countries. Not all Muslim countries have the death penalty, by the way. It's different according to country,
1: Yeah, you
0: know. But, um, you know, there are many that have the penalty. So like I felt that like I was in a privileged position to speak out and that I could. You know, I do get abuse and stuff like that and you know, and I've had abuse through my life but it was um, you know, I was protected by law. Yeah. You know, by our statute books in what I do. So that gave me the freedom. I thought, hold on you know, there are people who may, may be haters and don't like what I do but I'm protected by law so I can do this and you know I should do this for those people who lost their lives for being like me or are about to lose their lives or don't have the same freedoms as me. I look at it much more on a global kind of scale, you know, and as a global citizen, I feel I have a duty. So that's really what spurred me.
1: Yeah, When I was doing my research about you... um I went on to the Muslim LGBT Network. I think it was the website you had or a link you had. um, And it's called Stand Up for the LGBT Against Hate Crime, which you published on the 13th of the 9th, 2019. Tell us a little bit about that particular campaign. And I do believe when I was reading, people got actually murdered for their sexuality. Um, Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, What made you do, I obviously know that, people were murdered, so that gave you a good reason to do the campaign, but tell me a little bit more about it, because I'm really interested in that.
0: Yeah, Well, stand-up to LGBT hate crime was a kind of uh, a, a disparate um, groups coming together. Um, we were different groups, like in London we had, you know, um, uh, Live With The Tea, which are a transsexual group, Live With The Tea they call, and, you know, your other groups, like Muslim LGBT Network that uh, I'm with, then you had uh, the stand-up to LGBT hate crime, which is which was run uh, um, by uh, Nicola Field, she's another LGBT activist. So we're we're kind of you know diverse group of people who came together, you know, um, against um, hate crime in the LGBT community, not just in the UK, but kind of broader, uh, kind of global, um, bringing global awareness to what was happening. Because like it's not just a problem with Muslims. Look, there's LGBT hate crime in Brazil, there's a, and there's a big, there's a large Brazilian community that live in London. So you know, we had people from all over the world, during our campaign, you know, and some of these people were dissidents from other countries who fled, you know, regimes, you know, and they're not all Muslims, like I said, some of them, you know, um, came from other Christian countries too, so it's it about standing up against LGBT hate crime, but in this country too, in this country there's been a rise in hate crime, particularly against trans, the trans community, and so it was that as well. So it bought a lot of trans, like Live With The T is a, um, a, a trans um, support um, and campaigning organisation, and they were with us, too, you know. And this B with the T and other organisations um, that includes bi people, who people are bi, bisexual. So, like, you know, it was different organisations, different points of views, but all coming together under the auspices of standing up against LGBT hate crime, not just in the UK, but globally.
1: Tell me a little bit about what made you decide to... So, OK, how do you feel Muslims are treated within their sexuality how do you feel that mu- so if you came out and you said to another muslim that you are gay right how do they respond to you
0: what well, it is you know um it depends really what type of family form yeah and what type of tradition you're from within islam so if you came from a strict background yeah. obviously that would be a problem i'm talking about in the uk if you're looking at, at it from a uk context mm-hmm. if you came from a conservative muslim background you know it wouldn't be accepted but how your parents react might be different. Some parents would love you unconditionally, you know, because you're their their child. You know, for me, it was difficult. I didn't really come out to my parents like that because I knew it wasn't um, accepted um, in my community. It wasn't necessarily what my parents thought because I knew that they'd accept me to a point, you know, I'm their child, but I felt like they were more worried about what the community thought. So it's like, it's a double-edged sword in that sense. Do you feel
1: that, 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 Regardless of, of, say, Caribbean or Muslim, do you feel that people are more concerned about what people are saying rather than just accepting your child for who they are and loving them for who they are?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I feel. You know, I felt like, you know, there's a lot of community pressure, be it like you said, religious or cultural. Yeah. You know, and people are more worried about what other people are going to say you know, in reality. You know, because no one's coming up to me in this country and Asking for the death penalty on me, and if they do, it, nothing's going to happen yeah, because true. you know not, I can't I can't be put into prison for my sexual others like me, irrespective if they're LGBT plus. Yeah, you know we're a broad community, diverse community. So you know we, we are protectors in that sense. In, in many ways, people like me, it's up to the people around them, their immediate family, if they accept them or not, yeah. and how they treat the scriptures and how they treat their own kind. And I understand there is a religious argument. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to. You know, uh, but obviously, like you said, first and foremost, it's really about, you know, your immediate circumstances. Like me, I live in a community. I was worried really about, you know, um, initially what my parents were going to think. But then I was worried really what my community would think. You know, and a lot of them are not even practicing Muslims in reality. Ah, okay. You know, it's not like they're, they're like, you know, uh, scholars or anything. I I felt a lot of them were just lay members of congregation. Yeah. You know, they they just, you know... Uh, they were, you know, uh, what we call culturally Muslim. Yeah. But you're right, I mean, you know, it depends really uh, uh, on your parents and your community. But, like I said, there are conservative Muslims out there who don't accept it. I was lucky, my family did eventually accept it. You know, at first they were worried about what other people were going to think of. Yeah. They saying, oh, yeah. you know, you might get beaten up on the streets or what other people are going to say and this and that. You know, that's what they were worried about mainly.
1: Ah, see, so... It's nice to know that there are families out there that accept their children because I've seen and been obviously, obviously, I'm married myself to a woman. So for me, I understand completely your concept of things and how you view things and understand things. Obviously, I'm half Indian and I'm half black, too. So for me, I am dealing with both sides of the culture, (laughs) both sides of two different worlds Um. For me, at first, it was obviously very hard for my mother to accept being on the, on the inside, whereas my father already knew. And he told me, you are that way. And I tr- I tried to deny it myself, actually, to be quite honest with you. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, But um, as I grew older, smarter, wiser, I understood this is what I am. And it is what makes me happy. And I realised, and I want to let everybody else know this as well, which I don't know if you would agree with me, Jill, Jo, that... When you come out and say who you really are, you will see who really loves you and who will disappear.
0: Yeah, And you see your friends. I'm, you know, um, glad to hear that you know you were accepted, and you know it's heartwarming to hear your story too. Because my one was the opposite of yours. My one was like my mom accepting it and my dad not. You know, like so. Do you, you think you for that...
1: your dad is it more an ego thing where he didn't want to accept well, it because his son is yeah. gay and?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's difficult for males to kind of deal with the subject because you're dealing with another male. But that's unfortunately not with us anymore. He's passed away. But, you know, I did tell him before he passed away. And, you know, um, I did feel um, that it is more difficult, male to male, uh, to talk about this thing. There's mother's intuition as well. You know, it might be a stereotype, but with gay men particularly, we have quite close relationships with our mothers. Not always, you know, I don't want to you know, go back to kind of, you know, fairy in gay men because there are all different types of gay men. Of you course,
1: know, of course. You know, as
0: there are lesbians and the whole LGBT plus community. But I had a particularly close relationship with my mother. My mother always knew, you know, she a woman's intuition. But like you, you know, it was a, lot, a lot of it was about self-denial, too. Just really yeah. come to terms with your own self before other people can come, I think, you I, know, was,
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand how hard it is to be able to, to accept it for yourself. And and we don't make a big deal about it with ourselves necessarily, but uh, a lot of people make this big, uh, I don't know how to to say if I'm correct, a big fuss about our sexuality. I didn't make a big fuss about my sexuality. I just knew who I was and I wanted to be happy. And I don't know if it was the same for you. Did you feel like you went into a dark place or do you feel like you realised who you was and that made you happy and fulfilled?
0: Uh, It was the same for me in one way because... I've. the added dimension was me being muslim and you know how muslim you know communities across the world view it Mm -hmm. so initially i was just like you know coming to terms with my own sexuality i'd actually reconciled my faith my sexuality who i was my culture everything a long time ago it was like other people and the community i come from they still haven't reconciled those things yeah you know what i mean it's different because like you know coming from a you know, not just a cultural point of view, a religious point of view, it's difficult. You know, like I said, some countries have the death penalty. So, like, that's what initially what it was that I would not even kick up a fast if I felt there wasn't a problem. Initially, I was happy with myself. Yeah. And I hadn't even really come up to my parents, you know, but I was happy within myself and the life I was leading. Like you said, I was content. And I came to a point where, you know, I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I wasn't confident in myself or, you know, if I hadn't accepted it myself. So, but you're right. I mean, I think the added dimension of being Muslim because we are one of those communities. And I'm just saying it's just us, but, you know, mainly the Muslim community does have a problem with homosexuality. Other faiths do as well, don't get me wrong, and other cultures do as well. But, you know, we have a particular problem in that sense that we would apply the death penalty saying and stuff like that when other, you know, um, kind of, you know, traditions might not. So that was the only thing because I knew that uh, one day I'd be on a collision course with the very people I grew up with, if you know what I mean. So my campaigning work started locally where I live in Luton. Then I took it to London. Then it became, because of the internet and such, like became international with social media. So, you know, like you, I had that journey, but I think the added dimension was being Muslim, I think. But just my personal point of view, you know, but since you know I've, I've been campaigning, I've noticed that a lot of other Muslims felt that too. You know, we have that issue within... You know our faith, and it's still going on
1: well, how do you feel that the Muslim community can help to make the LG community better, safer, more enjoyable, and free
0: I think it's all about you know um, attitude and how you engage with others. What's happened is in this country since sixty seven it's been legal to be gay, you know and then you know we had the lowering of um, the age of consent you know that happened in the nineties then you had equal consent at a point, because in, when I was growing up, the age of consent was 21. They yes, got to that's eight,
1: true,
0: yeah. Yeah, you got lowered 18, then 16, then you had civil partnerships come in, and then you had same-sex marriages. So like, I've seen a lot of changes in that time. And what's happened the Muslim community haven't really kept up with those changes. You know, they've kind of kept themselves to themselves, and a lot of times lived in a bubble where a lot of these advancements in society, you know, haven't really applied to them. It's not because they... You know, disregard them, it's because in many ways, they live you know not under their own laws or anything like that, but they live you know in a bubble like you get other communities like the Orthodox Jewish community or Sikhs or other communities who might be conservative, you know, and they might not be asking for death penalty per se, but they're quite conservative when it comes to certain things in their faith yeah you know i've I've you know met other Christian people who because you know our scriptures, you know the whole Muslim scriptures, they come from the Old Testament.
1: You know, ah, okay. To the news.
0: So they come from the Torah, to the Bible, and they were given to us. It's the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know that story? Yeah, it's the I've word sodomy. Yeah. The word sodomy derives from the, the word Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you get me? There were two you know, uh, towns. And the prophet Lot rained you know, fire and brimstone upon the inhabitants because you know they were straying from their religion. And one of the things they were doing, it wasn't just about um, homosexuality, it was about male rape, it was about rape. It was it, people who were straying away from their religion you know, and it comes from that story. So if you think that that story that was first mentioned in the Torah, you know, the Old Testament, who knew the Gospels in Christianity. But we are the ones who take it literally. And we, you know, we've had a, you know, a major problem with interpreting those scriptures. And those scriptures come from the Abrahamic faiths. They're an Abrahamic, you know, uh, tradition. So it's not just like all Muslims are, you know, singular or, you know, isolated in their beliefs. You know, we come from a, you know, um, a tradition. We are part of the Abrahamic faith. You know, you had Christ- um, Jewish, Christian, and Muslims, you know. So, but we take it literally. Not all Muslims do, but some Muslims do. And that's the problem, you know, I felt all my life because it was the kind of scriptures, you know, that I would hear time to time, you know, that I felt, you know, um, that I had a problem with. And I'm still, you know, um, kind of battling with that. I was gonna them. I was gonna
1: ask, are you still battling with
0: I'm not not with myself in that sense that I reconcile my faith and sexuality yeah. in the kind of views of the community in that sense that that's my work. That's that that's what I do. So what I do is I'm not an expert on scripture or I'm not a, a scholar. You know, but what I do from time to time is I seek religious guidance from imams and, and do you know what? I've actually found, you know, a good communication, this leeway with Imams, because they actually know the scripture. You know what I find the the real problem I've had in the past was with kind of lay members of congregation. Yeah. Like, you know, you might get lay members of congregation in a church, simply in the mosque, you'll get someone who comes along who doesn't necessarily knows the know, doesn't know the scriptures, you know, thoroughly, but has got their own opinion.
1: That's you know? true. But yeah. when you
0: go to an imam, they give you, you know, a kind of educated point of view. They're a scholar and ac- you know, an academic in that line, you know, be it Islamic studies, you know, and they can give you, you know, uh, you know, a, a kind of balanced you know, view of it. And it's not always being black and white, because I understood there's a lot of grey areas there, and it's about interpretation as well. It's about what kind of faith you come from, you know, more um, people call them moderate Muslims, I call them more mainstream Muslims, you interpret it in a different way, and you've got conservative Muslims, but even the conservative Muslims, when they they um, interpret it sometimes, you know, um, even they, you know, uh, would be taken to task by other, Um, schools of thought and other imams. So, you know, there's a whole debate going on there as well. And what I've noticed is like, you know, I was accepted to a point. You know, like when I spoke to my local imam and explained my situation, and they showed me some of the grey areas and understanding about sexuality within, you know, the context of my religion. So it's about, you know, you get, um, you know, an educated point of view from a scholar or an academic. That's what I meant, you know. And you might not necessarily get that from the person, you know, next to you in the congregation. Because they might not always know, you know, um, the issues at hand. So sometimes, you know, you have to seek religious guidance. And it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Because what I know is that, you know, I find more acceptance in doing that. Because there were great areas that I could work with them, And there were certain things that I could find out more about. And that's what I do. Try to kind of bridge the gap.
1: Do you, Ijo, do you feel that religion is a way of controlling people in the way that they think and feel towards people who are open about their sexuality?
0: Well, it has been, you see, you know, um, particularly when you had kind of autocratic regimes, you know, totalitarian regimes, you know, and Islamist regimes come under that, you know, manner. So it's not just Islamism, you've had other, you know, traditions, faith traditions, or even cultures. I'll like, give you an example. I grew up in Britain, and I grew up with the African-Caribbean community who were pre- predominantly Jamaican but from other islands in the Caribbean, small island people too, they should call them, you know, and... And Jamaica as well, no, and like, you know, the Jamaicans obviously Christianity being a major part of their faith, and the same scriptures you talk about the like you know, that refer the Muslims refer to, and the music, you know, that came about. I remember I grew up in, in the nineties mainly, you know, and it was bujibanton, you know, Bumbaya in a batibua head and all that, you know, and calling gay people man, and stuff like that, you know, and advocating, you know, um violence against gays too. You know, you Bumbaya meaning shooter. Way, uh, uh, you know, um, a gay man in the head. It's not the language I would use, but I'm just using it for Yeah, the, you're just to, using the lyrical you know, content
1: that somebody yeah, else to, was to using. Kind
0: of, you know, explain to you what happened. And like, you know, I remember watching Shabaranks on The Word and he was saying, you know, I go by the Gospels, the Bible, this is, you know, because Mark Lamar was a presenter and he took him to task on it. I asked him, what do you think about what's happening in Dancehall and Raga at that time? So, think about it, you know, like Jamaica is known as one of the most homophobic countries on earth. You didn't expect Saudi Arabia to come in that table. Well, Jamaica's right up there. You know, you've got the gully people in Jamaica who are forced underground, literally, to live in gullies, you know, in tunnels because they're part of the LGBT. Culture. Some of them are trans, some of them are gay, By you know, LGBT, plus, they, they um, kind of identify us, but they're called the gully people in Jamaica because they're forced to live un- in gullies. You know, and it's illegal in Jamaica, but they're not, they haven't got the death penalty per se, but it's cultural. Do you understand? And, and there's other countries in the continent of Africa, say, you know, and they're Christians. In Uganda, there's groups who go around attacking, you know. So, like, it depends where you are in the world, you know. Jamaica's in the Western world, near, you know, but obviously the African descendants. And then you've got Christianity in all, you know, um, its facets that now, particularly in the Western tradition, has come to terms with sexuality but you know if you think about Jamaica like a culture which I identified with because of my friends the music and you know but when I looked at another side of Jamaica you know that side I didn't like it wasn't you know the people I met good people you know but that was prevalent and now you know there's been a a backlash against the in Jamaica, you had would Banton now saying okay I was wrong for saying that he has gone on record after that do you feel
1: like people um accept lesbians more than gay men because I feel like I feel that gay men are more targeted. I the reason why I say this, let me explain. The reason why I say this is because I had a conversation with someone once and he was a Jamaican guy. And um so I said, Oh, do you have any gay friends? He said, Um, no, I don't have gay friends. I don't have gay men friends, he said. But I have lesbian gay friends. So I said, How come do you accept two women but you don't accept two men now what's your view on that Ejio? because i find that a lot of people do accept gay women more necessarily than gay men but i just want to hear your views on it and how you feel about it yeah.
0: but i think a lot of men have a fantasy of lesbians how they view it it's a stereotype of lesbians they think like they might you know uh, become involved in a threesome, maybe, or something like that, or they like that idea of two women making out in front of them. They don't find that repulsive; they find it sexually stimulating. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's cultural. It's come about in our culture that um, you know. Did you hear about recently? You know, um, it was um, last year, I think, now when the lesbian couple got attacked in London on a bus. So think, of, and the boys were asking them to make out in front of them, and they refused to. So I'm saying it goes deep in our culture. Maybe the whole lesbian thing for them is more of a kind of, you know, sexualized kind of, you know, image. You know, it's not real because it's not real, you know, lesbians who love each other and have relationships. For them, maybe it's acceptable to a point, you know, in their idea. So I found that too, you know, maybe because, you know, um, and culturally too, I think people, um, other men do feel threatened by gay men, especially feminine gay men, they feel. You know, if they camp or if you like, oh, why are you acting like that for whatever? Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of thing. They are, you know, they think, oh, gay men will hit on them, you know. So it, it, it's, it's that as well. I think it's being threatened, the masculinity. It's not that all oh, gay men are feminine at camp because that's not true either. We've seen like, you know, subsequently, like, you know, um, gay rugby players come out, you know. Um, so, you know, um it's different. I think, yeah, because I think it's that male thing again, that machismo, you know, that, you know, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily want to be around another man who's gay. But like you said, maybe, you know, they find it more acceptable two lesbians. OK, you know, the lesbians, you know, I'm not threatened by that. It? That's not my gender, you know, and the images they have of lesbians. Do you understand? Maybe.
1: But this is know. the thing that gets to me is that they have an image of us and how they perceive us to be and that's not true at all.
0: Yeah, some people like that because it's media. It's the media has per- per- perpetuated images of that. When I was growing up, it was the campy feminine man on television. Like there was, there used to be this program called "Are You Being Served?" and John Inman used to play this character called Mr. Humphreys. You know, this kind of mincing, queen, camp, irreverent, and that was the only representation we had in the seventies. And he had other presenters like Larry Grayson, you know, who was another gay performer. You know, subsequent levels we got like Alan Carr, Dame and but you know, he come, they come in that kind of tradition. Of camp entertainers but then again you have other people like Stephen Fry who's gay and he's, he's not someone you automatically considered to be camp you know you know so um, he's considered as an intellectual but he's gay do you understand so like they see now a lot of people see that there's different types of uh, gay people out there and lesbians you're seeing these are butch women that were referred to as dykes in dungarees you know those type of women you know who looked butch and who are out fighting for their rights on the street you know you could see the campaigners in the day in the day they would highlight you know more butch looking lesbians or or the fantasy of lesbians two really good looking women making out so you know throughout the times now it's changing obviously because we've got social media and we've got much um it's much more when you gotta change society you know and like i said all the, the the kind of advancements we have, we've had in um, kind of LGBT plus movement. I just do feel, you know, some people are still, you know, um, kind of archaic in their notions of um, LGBT plus community and how they view us. They need educating. Totally. In other words, you know, it depends what community you come from. A lot of communities don't discuss it. You know, do you think it's
1: also about. ignorance as well? But I mean, ignorance in the lack of knowledge, like you just said, when it comes to sexuality.
0: Well, it is. I mean, I give example like, you know, the whole, when I refer to dancehall culture, Jamaican culture, it's similar yeah. there. And that's not nothing to do with my faith in that sense. Most of Jamaicans that I knew, the ones who hadn't converted, were Christians. And you're right, it was ignorance. It was ignorance to do with the community they don't want nothing to do with. You know? And it's about machismo as well. You know? It's about being macho. And that doesn't fit into that. They think. Do you the So, yeah. it, and similar in my community, it was the same as ignorance. It's people they think you're the other. They think you live in another place in another time. You know, and back in the day, they just think all gays are like where I lived in Luton. They think all gays are from like Brighton or Soho or in London, you know, somewhere else apart from, you know, not that, you know, they're going to school with a gay person or they might know someone next door to them because that seemed out of their kind of experience. You know, it was to do with England. You know, when I was growing up, you know, um, they had Section 28 or Clause 28, which prohibited the teaching of anything that was deemed to be promoting Homosexuality, yes. you know, and that only got um, repealed in um, the top of the millennium, I think it was about 2002, you know, so if you think about it, um, you know, in the 80s, because he only came in really in the 80s, and you know, I was still going, late 80s he came in, like 88, something like that, and I was still going to school then, so do you understand, like, you know, it's part of our culture, we weren't allowed to promote any other, you know, um, in those days just to call cool alternative lifestyle they want an cool alternative lifestyle they were just people you know who may be different to you but who were just human beings you know uh, who happened to identify you know as LGbt plus but we weren't taught about it so it's not the fault you know it takes it's a generational thing you've got this new generation today the young generation they are much more accepting I do for you I meet a lot of young people you know and I, do, I have felt that there is a sea change there because they've grown up with all those rights you know they've seen same-sex marriages they've seen you know, people who are out and proud. And the young people I meet, there's much more of a celebratory atmosphere, like when I go to Pride.
1: Yes, you know? totally. you like young
0: people there and you see, because they've grown up, you know, not being ashamed of themselves, you know, and they're represented truly now. You know, you're getting, you know, um, kind of diversity, you know, truly represented on um, not just on TV, but media as well.
1: Ah, I love love the way you put things across because you explain it in a way that makes people understand exactly how it is from your point of view. Another question that I actually wanted to ask you was, um, and this just spontaneously, when I was writing your write-up, this spontaneously came to me and it went something like this. If you took religion, race, out of the equation for a moment, so I'm saying... If it didn't exist, if all those aspects of religion and race, the not matter where you come from, did not exist, do you feel that people would accept sexuality a lot more and be more open to the fact of just letting people live and be who they are?
0: They would, and this, that society is a, is a society we live in, me and you. Like, it's the UK. UK is a society <laughs> that does not judge you you know, on the basis of your faith, your colour, your sexuality or anything, you know, this is a truly free, free society. There are other societies like that in the West too, like, you know, not just in the West, there's other countries, but mainly I'm talking about like, you know, in a kind of European context, or say a Western context, like in America, Canada, you know, there's many countries. There are other countries outside that too, don't, don't get me wrong, Latin America, be it in, in Asia or Middle East, you know, that are progressive, you know, and you know are changing, and have changed. But this is this society does that. You know, this is a society where me, I can sit here and talk to you and you can talk about your experiences, I can talk about my experiences freely, you know, without, you know, um, uh, you know, feeling judged. You know, I truly feel this is a non-judgmental society, you know, it's a truly free society. But sometimes, obviously, we take it for granted because we live here. Yes, you, that's you, true. We forget the, those freedoms, you know. And it's just human nature to take it for granted because, you know, um, we don't always kind of see what happens in other countries. But now with social media, we've seen that, h- hold on, you know other people in other countries don't have those freedoms or with, like you know um in the media at large you see you know images you know or reports like it's mainly on social media now because a lot you know um a lot of people are posting stuff from all over the world on it and we're getting to see that other countries they haven't got the freedoms. Like recently you've seen it with the whole kind of black lives matter campaign in america which is obviously um you know um probably in this country too with Black Lives Matter in London and the UK but we saw it because someone filmed it on you know a camera phone but we know that existed in America from time immemorial ever <laughs> since police have been about you know and but nowadays you know um obviously you know we can document those things put it out there but someone <laughs> lost their life and but know others have because even after that you know uh, we have the other um uh, you know, gentleman, the victim who lost his life in Atlanta. So, like, we're seeing stuff like that happening. And we're realizing, hold on, in Britain, our police don't have guns, they don't carry guns. And I know we've still got problems with, you know, structural racism, systemic racism. Because you, I've seen the protesters out there yeah. in London, you know, and not just in London, like those Black Lives Matter protests where I in lo- and then across the country, wasn't there? Yeah, you know, totally. You know, but, and there's a whole Black Lives Matter in the UK. And we have to understand that, you know, of course, you know, these are inequalities. They have to be highlighted, uh, you know, and, you know, I'm someone, you know, obviously, you know, I'm coming from a different perspective in the sense that I'm Muslim and I'm LGBT, but I'm also for supporting human rights. And for me, you know, um, if there's injustice out there, you know, we have to highlight it. And the country we live in, the UK, it's not me, I'm not boosting up this country because, you know, I'm not part of the government. The see what I'm saying? You ask, like, you know, is there a country? Well, I do feel like, you know, we still got a long way to go. When it comes to... Yeah, I to feel that same way. Like that. Yeah, me too. You know, and like you said about, you know, I hope if we took religion and, you know, um you race out of the equation. But, you know, but in many ways, you know, we are protected. We, we we do have freedoms. But it's still a societal thing because in society, race, you know, still you know is an issue and religion is still an issue. We've seen with Muslims and we've seen like the you know, whole black lives a matter, you know campaign here in this country so don't get me wrong i'm not you know uh, belittling the experiences of say my community or the black community or anything like that what i'm saying is we are still you know better than a lot of countries but we still got a long way to go too
1: yeah most definitely so so do you feel that Another subject that I wanted to touch base with you is, do you feel that people are given a fair chance when it comes to sexual- their sexuality, when it comes to them finding work in any industry that they want to be in? Because I find, I, I didn't see it. it. It was it was a few years ago <laughs> with me, when I was filling out an application form and then it answers for your sexuality. They never used to have that before. Yeah? So for me, do you feel that it's fair that that is on the list and people actually do judge you on your sexuality before they give you a job even if and you're I qualified said, yeah
0: i know what you mean it's a double whammy Steve, because back in the day it was the same with race they would ask you what's your
1: you race know, yeah
0: origin, ethnic origin you know uh, and the problem was people used to say oh you know because i in one way I understand where you're coming from because like why should we have to you know that that information but it was a way of monitoring um you know prejudices as well they wanted to see the experiences of BAME communities in the past. That's why you all came back, because it was the Commission for Racial Equality that really pushed for those kind of statistics to come about. And maybe announced just like 1976. And laterally obviously to do with sexuality as well. Because initially I used to be a bit wary as well. What's my sexuality could do with this job or whatever, like you. But then I understood it's a way of monitoring, you know, people's experiences because they want to know how you feel Because you don't have to always divulge that information if you don't want to. But I know what you mean. There is a pressure now into doing that. But the way I look at it is sometimes you have to see how people from um, diverse backgrounds are treated, you know, in different work situations, you know. Um, And, you know, I have felt, because I work in the media, there was much more tolerance, you know, and acceptance towards the gay community, you know, even from the BAME community in the media, because I felt that, you know, they were an artistic, creative community, you know. So in one hand, you know, I've found acceptance, you know, not just being tolerated because it's one thing being tolerated and acceptance is another but you're right i mean i do feel that whole common what's your sexuality? ticking a box does that help or not you know it's still out there when it comes to race it has helped because it has in one way we have kind of you know been able to kind of you know um scrutinize people's behavior through it and to see the workforce how many people are from a BAME community or even like recently with the coronavirus you know the, the stats were out there you know BAME communities, how they were affected compared to, you know, uh, the wider community and such like. And I hope the sexuality thing as well, it's not misused. It's not It's not a way to target us. But in a way, I look at it, it's like in a way to see our experiences, you know, that, you know, we're out there in the workforce today. But traditionally, you know, um, um, with the LGBT plus community, there was great acceptance within the arts. Yes. You know, that's another stereotype because obviously not, I mean, LGBT plus Identifying people who work in all walks of life—I don't want to make up that—but you know, traditionally, there was an acceptance within the arts, you know, and uh, the creative sector. What I found.
1: No, that that makes total sense to me as well because it's it's sexuality is a hard subject to talk about for anybody. So, what I wanna what I wanna ask you is is that what made you so passionate about being in an lgbt network and community was there an experience that you had because one thing i haven't asked you yet is what experience have you had or had from someone that was either a good experience or a bad experience that you can share with the people who are listening to the ask people podcast so that they can understand your point of view with sexuality and how you've been treated
0: you know what i've had many bad experiences i'm talking about violence you oh. know quite severe violence yeah i do you know what you know I do find it hard to always discuss those kind of really emotive subjects because obviously, you know, it took me a lot of therapy and, you know, um, to get to where I am. Yeah, but of course. In the, in the early days particularly, there was a lot of violence involved. You know, nowadays, not so much. I'm much older now. Yeah. You know, so I'm, you know, but even the, our movement has grown as well and there's much more of a tolerance in, in my community towards it. So even if someone wants to beat you up, they very rarely do that because they realise, you know, um, you know, they can't, you know, homophobia is in the statute books, you know, as a hate crime as well, you know. Um, and it's not just oh, on a racial or religious basis, because, you know, obviously homophobia comes under that as well. And we've seen homophobic attacks. So in one way, I've had very bad experiences, particularly in the early days, not so much now, you know, not in violence or anything like that. But occasionally I still get trolled online and, you know, stuff like that, which I still upsets me, don't get me wrong, you know. It still greatly upsets me, but the whole kind of violence and stuff like that is something, you know, um, that I had to overcome. I felt I shouldn't, but you know, it was the, it was a sign of the times. Really, it was a much more homophobic, homophobic, you know, uh, environment in those days. You know, today's different. Even in my community, they know they can't get away with it. I'll be honest. You know, so uh, and young people are, are being taught that in schools too. So, you know, it is a different landscape today. But it's really that really some of my formative experiences in my formative years you Know, stayed with me. I, w- I would not wish uh, that upon anyone, and that's what I do. What I do because I feel the young people today being a much better uh, position in society where they can be out and proud. Obviously, they're still going to get haters, and there's still you know hate crime out there, there's still homophobic, and there's incidents of hate crime. You hear it all around the country, it's not like it's gone away, but it's um, it's um, far less than it was, you know. But it's reported more as well in that sense that if if someone you know, is being bullied or, you know, attacked because of their sexuality, you know, they'll report it to the police or the school, you know, whoever, you know, and I encourage them to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, society has changed, and what changed um, my perspective was those experiences that I had. You know, we didn't have any, you know, um, uh, right of reply, really, in those days when it came. Um, Because even the police, the whole culture was homophobic.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: You know, the community is homophobic. Today, I've seen, like, you know, there's diversity training within the police. You know, the police are on pride marches, you see them. You know, you see gay, openly gay um, policemen and women and trans officers, you see members of the clergy.
1: I believe that we have come a long way. I do believe we have, but like you said, we need we still need to keep moving we still need to keep marching we still need to keep representing we still need uh, love never never loses love always wins so it doesn't matter what kind of love you have as long as you have a pure positive love towards someone it will always win because love can take you out of depression it can it can you know take someone out of a bad place regardless of their sexuality. So for me, it's more of a case of we need to just keep marching. Um, I think that's important for even activists like yourself who who keep representing people who are LGBT so that they can keep on moving forward and understanding that there is people out there to support them. So another thing I also wanted to ask you is, what was the early ex- earliest experience where you learned that language had power to represent something that you were truly passionate about within the lgbt community
0: i was actually in school because like you know after that obviously like as a muslim i'd go to mosque you know not regular but on special occasions or sometimes you know like your parents would take you and you'd hear elements of scripture mentioning maybe you know it wasn't all the time but sometimes it might mention sexuality so that was later on maybe in my teenage years i would hear about sexuality Know, at the mosque you know would affect me because you know i'm coming to you know uh, a realization of my own sexuality uh, you know and my sexual awakening going to puberty but at school in the early days i would hear stuff like that you know they would say in those days they used to use the word homo and laterally and after that it was back and all that but you know in the early days you all listening to me you're a homo it was a joke like you know then after that, i heard about you know uh, gay was used as a you know pejorative kind of term, like, you know, oh, that's gay, meaning that's rubbish, you know, and that's kind of stopping now as well, that, you know, that was, you know, uh, an issue, you know, even up to like a decade ago. So that when I was young, they said, oh, you're a homo or something, you know, that that was a, you know, um, a pejorative word, you know, and then later, but boy so it changes, you know, gay has always been used as a pejorative term to put people down, and as a negative thing, it was used, you know, and particularly in the BAME communities, we have a, you know, a sense, of masculinity that other communities don't, like it's too seeing two black men holding hands and kissing, you know. There's some from our community might find that repulsive, you know. There, you know, and there might be some from my community who might find two men, Muslim men or Asian men, not just Muslims, but let's take Muslims out of the equation and say South Asian as a race, you know, they might they might not like it either because I've got Sikh and Hindu
1: friends. How you is know, it? How is me. it for you when you're walking down a road and you're holding hands with your partner? I do You don't know
0: what? The honest. On truth is, like, if I'm, say, in my hometown of Luton, I've always kept away from doing PDAs, you know, public displays of affection, because it's not the kind of place you do it. It's a working class town. I'm a working class guy. You know, I grew up in a working class town. My father used to work in a factory. Uh, Do you
1: you not do do it because of of fear, or do you do it out of respect?
0: It's not that I don't do it. It's just like, you know, um, I think I've been programmed that way. You know, it's just something, you know... um, that instinctively I know the minute i I'm on a train coming back from London, you know I change my behavior yeah you know, and you're right, maybe it is out of respect understanding the communities, you know, so obviously I wouldn't go and kiss my partner in front of someone or even hold hands. I just you know stay away from that, but I, said, I, I do always feel that when I'm in London, yeah you know I have a bit more you know I affection a bit more freedom, yeah, it's not that I'm out there hugging and kissing in london either, but it's but you know there's a bit more freedom that I feel. But do you know, feel
1: a way when you see two like straight people holding hands and kissing? And and, and obviously, it's been it's been accepted. One thing I, I just want to throw out to everyone: I don't know even if they knew this, but it's just some knowledge that when we are born, we are not born with any sexuality. So we're not born ba- we're not born um, straight. We're not born gay. Apparently, we are born as they say bisexual. So you just love yeah and it's our parents who show us oh you should be with a boy or you should be with a girl depending on our on our gender and teaches us that we should be with a girl or a boy and that's how it is so therefore our parents are our role models in the sense that they tell us whether or not we should be with a man or a woman and um I just wanted to throw it across to you because how do you feel about, the reason why I asked you, are you afraid of showing public displays of affection to people is because do other people, do do you or your partner feel awkward seeing somebody else showing affection towards each other, but knowing that you can't show that same amount of affection?
0: It's different where you are. You know, like sometimes, you know, if you feel your safety is at risk, you have to take that decision. Of course. It depends where you are. You know, so if I'm in a, Place where I feel my safety might be at risk if I did a PDA, you know, with my partner, yeah, a public display of affection, then I have to consider that. A good example, like when you mentioned the stand up to um, LGBT hate crime campaign, one thing we did was a kiss in. We held a kiss in um, in London, yeah, we held a kiss in and it was um, outside of Parliament. And the kiss in wasn't us like, you know, French kissing, it was just done a show affection you know for each other and to show publicly so it was a kissing and in that environment I felt okay you know doing that but it depends where you are sometimes you know for your own safety you might have to um, consider you know um, your options and that's how it shouldn't be like that you're right because I think we sort of, kind of societally kind of engineered like that. I think you're right. It's a societal thing about how you grew up, your own community, your parents, and, you know, how you feel. And I'm like that too. Many ways I grew up in a town that we didn't do PTAs, you know, especially if you were, you know, from the LGBT plus community. So whenever I come back to my town, I can revert back to that. I shouldn't, but if I don't, there'll be trouble. Then there'll be people out there saying, I'm inciting, you get me, you know, violence. So they'll be saying that I incited their, you know, wrath. So, in many ways, I kind of keep the peace. Without, like, Okay, they know I'm out. You get me? They know who I am, you know? And time to time, they've known that I've had a partner say, you know, I'm with someone. But sometimes we refrain from that because, you know, I live in a um, town with a 50,000-plus Muslim population. It's one of the largest Muslim population in the country. So, you know, you have to be wary about where you are. And different places, obviously, obviously like at a Pride event, I'm going to feel safe and, you know, harmonious. But I just have to judge it. And it's not that because it shouldn't be like that. I should be able to do what I do. You when know you what want. I do. Yeah. You know, and, you know, um, it's not even um, out of respect in many ways. Sometimes it's out of personal safety. You feel yeah. like, you know, that's not, you know, because um, some of the areas that I grew up in, you know, if there's any kind of outwardly, you know, um, gay couples or LGBT plus identified people, you know, they'll get attacked. You know, it's not everyone attacking them, but there's a minority. Out there, you know, who are homophobic. Do you understand?
1: Yeah, totally. You know, that,
0: that couple got attacked on the bus. They weren't even, you know, um, yeah, they were minding their, their own
1: pressure. business. They were just yes. going home. All they were doing yes. was going home.
0: But they were perceived as a couple, and that's what I mean. So sometimes, you know, even if you're perceived as a couple, you know, uh, you could feel threatened. So it shouldn't be like that, don't get you know, I wish I could walk hand in hand with my partner, you know, around my town, but it's something I haven't done in the past. And most of my partners have not really been from my town. You know, because I was—I live only 30 miles from London, you see. So I've always found London to be much more bohemian, much more accepting. And it's not all parts of London, I appreciate. You know, um, there are parts of London, you know, be East London or other, uh, you know, areas, you know, where you have different communities from all different backgrounds who might not accept it. Not just Muslim communities. I'm talking about, you know, there's white working class communities out there as well, you know, in London or black communities. But what I've found is certain parts of London that I've frequented, you know, particularly the artistic community that I know, you know, who work in the creative industries, you know, I've always felt open with them. But it's not something I've always felt in my town. And different parts of London as well, I've not felt that, because, you know, we had a campaign in um, Whitechapel. You can see, if you put My Name is Yolkan and Whitechapel, come up with some of the campaigns I did in Whitechapel to talk to some of the people there. Yeah. And, you know, we did grassroots work there. And Whitechapel is a similar community where I lived in Luton, even though, you know, similar demographics. But obviously, like, you know, they're a community in London which is become gentrified and you know they've got their own issues with you know um, housing and you know um, kind of um, just um, a saturation of people who live there you know overcrowding but you know it's about education so I do go out the time to time and we did the whole kissing thing was you know through the stand up to LGBT hate crime people yeah. you know it's something that I on my own through the Muslim community would, would not have necessarily done because that's not acceptable in my community and a lot of, even um, the LGBT community don't want to kind of overtly, you know, um, uh, seem to kind of uh, incite you know, um, any kind of violence or um, you know, backlash. So it yeah. was about, that, you know, um, there shouldn't be one rule for one community, one for another. But unfortunately, we do have that because in multicultural you've got many communities that live in their own little bubble, you know, and they're not necessarily living under Sharia, law, but they have their own conservative attitudes that, and they've grown up, you know, um, because of multiculturalism, because we were left to our own devices in many ways, you know, um, I'm grateful to multiculturalism for a lot of things, but some things, you understand, know because like yeah. kind of um, religious extremism came in through the back door, you understand? Know it had nothing to do with multiculturalism. Really. Well, religion
1: is uh, a form of power and control. Yeah,
0: yeah, and unfortunately, you know, because of multiculturalism, we had a lot of people who espoused kind of you know extreme views. They were allowed to propagate their ideas and. They were out or about in the community, and um, but now we realise, you know, some of these um, um, people, their opinions, their rhetoric is not acceptable, yeah. you know, irrespective if they think they're coming from a religious perspective or not, you know, but sometimes, you know, because of multiculturalism, we had little communities, you know, they had their little groups and their pockets, you know, and unfortunately, that's the kind of why I grew up in, uh, you know, and it shouldn't be like that. You should be free to be yourself. Yeah you know, wherever you
1: are. That's the part I was saying how about how do you feel. But another another question I have for you, Jele, is how, how can someone be part of the LGBT community to help other people and inspire them to feel safe and be free in who they are and what they are?
0: It's about respect as well. You know, as LGBT people, you know, we can't, you know, especially from BAME communities, you know, our communities... Are at times, much more conservative, you know, the other communities. I'm not just talking as a Muslim here. I, was, I was Jewish, I'm talking someone comes from a Bain community, and I've got friends who are black, white, mixed race. You know, I grew up in England. Do you understand? And I had friends from all different backgrounds, and I, I had partners from all different backgrounds too. You know, Be it religious or you know, um, racial. So for me, it's about understanding those communities and uh, trying to engage with them. But on a level, they can understand too sometimes if I'm talking to say religious people, I know I'm not talking in a different way to I would to conservative Muslims than I would to say you know my partner you know or my other gay friends you know or my other friends from lgbt plus communities or work in the creative industries so it's understanding where the person's coming from with some people they're not you know inherently homophobic or anything like that, you know they just might not have had those experiences of engaging with someone you know who identified as LGBT plus, but it's respecting their point of view too. Because, you know, we live in a democracy, someone can say that I think homosexuality is the same. Of course, we can challenge them on that as, as, you know, q, Q-POC, as Q-POC, q uh, queer people of colour. We can challenge them on that, and we should, vehemently. We but, we, remember, we live in a democracy, if a little old white Christian lady can say, hold on, you know, the Bible says this, you know, and they do something. you see, you know, no one goes around saying he's an extremist or he's an extremist, you know. We have to let people have their point of view, as long as obviously in a legal framework. And um, but we have to um, do it with respect too.
1: Yes, totally. You
0: know, when I'm speaking to religious communities, it's mutually So they respect for me, but I have to understand the boundaries when it comes to, you know, the language that I will use, and it has to be appropriate. The language too, depending uh, on the audience, you know, or the public concern. You know, if I went to a black Christian group. You know, be an African-Caribbean or even an African. And I've spoken to different uh, Christian groups from different backgrounds, you know. And you're wary about their own, you know, cultural background or the religious background. And you're respectful of that. It's like when you walk into a, a place of worship. If I'm asked to take my shoes off before going to seek wadwara, you know, and cover my head, I'll do that out of respect. If I go to a church, you know, I'll respect the church, won't I? You know, if someone's singing hymns, and if I didn't even know, you know, the hymns, you know, but I still go along with it, you know you know it's just respect. respect i've been to churches I've been to other places of worship and and I've spoken to people from you know different backgrounds, not just my own and it's just about respecting one another but obviously you know um you know that sometimes there are um, parameters you know there are boundaries because you know and it's, well, that's my work some of my work one thing I'm be really lucky is to be able to engage on a theological basis with you know muslims you know be it you know scholars or academics Yeah. you know although like I said I'm not one myself but I learned a lot along the way because being gay and Muslim you know <laughs> yeah I totally to learn, you know but I still don't consider myself a scholar or an academic but I know the basics of my faith and I like to always learn more not just about my faith but other people's faith too be it Christianity, Judaism or whatever Hinduism and I want to learn about it and I do but it's about respect that's what I mean just respect each other you know talk to someone you know in the way you'd want to be spoken to but understand where they're coming from too they might have a certain great tradition, you know?
1: Yeah, no, totally. If there was one quote out there that represents who you are as a person, what quote would you choose? And why would you choose that particular quote?
0: Uh, well, it would be Mahatma Gandhi. He said, be the change you want to see in the world.
1: Ah, so Meaning, uh, yeah. yeah,
0: do it yourself. You know, be be that person. Be the change you want to see in the world. Because he had his campaign, it was called Satyagraha. It was uh, the path of truth and righteousness. Satya means truth, you know. And graha is the path. So it was a to enlightenment. And it was Martin Luther King who followed the nonviolent you know, protest movement of Gandhi because he read Gandhi while he was um, studying to be a, a theologian, you know, which he became. You know, so he read Gandhi and he said, hold on, if through nonviolent means, if, this little man in loincloth could take down the british empire and maybe we could do something in civil rights in america and that that quote came to uh martin luther king as well be the change you want to see in the world you know similarly with martin luther king you know when he talked about you know um darkness can't drive out darkness only light can do that you know or another one is like you know it, it was Malcolm x who was a muslim you know it's, education is our passport to the future for tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today You know, and he was, you know, an ex-criminal, you know, someone, you know, who lived through the whole system. His father was a Baptist preacher, you know, who grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, converted to the nation of Islam and subsequently to more orthodox Islam, you know. And, you know, and he always said education is our passport to which he was talking about African-American people primarily, you know, uh, you know, tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. And I always stayed with me because when he came out of prison, he changed his life, he realized, you know, and look at the journey he went on. You know, yeah. unfortunately both were assassinated, all three of them, people I was talking about. Gandhi yeah. was assassinated, so was Malcolm X, and so was Martin Luther King. Anyone who trying to push... They had, yeah, they all had a message, and the message was, wasn't one of violence, it was one of peace and love, you know, for uh, humankind.
1: Is there ever a time where you feel like you want to give up because you feel like you haven't got the support that you need? What advice would you give to people out there who feel like this, who feel like they haven't got support or they, they, they don't have a lot of money to do things or, or their sexuality, they can't feel like, they're feeling like they can't be who they really want to be inside. What advice would you give to them as an activist and somebody who is a gay man so that they, you can uplift them and make them understand that they are not alone?
0: I and mean, we all feel like that, particularly, you know, um, during our formative years when you're going through changes like through puberty or school or if you're being bullied, you know, even before that, like if you, even like you find, um, you know, uh, in school a lot of kids say they're being bullied or whatever or growing up, you know, you have a lot of angst and problems. It's to know that the feelings you, you have are universal, you know. And it's not just in this country, it's worldwide, you know. And it's not just young people. It's people say, you know, um, who are older, who left school, you know, people 30s, 40s, older, pensioners, it never changes. You know, that feeling sometimes of being isolated or, or being isolated in your thoughts or, you know, feeling um, despondent or everything is getting on top of you, you know. Um, you have to reach out and talk to people that you can trust and you have to confide in someone at least or, you know, some institution. Like if I say, if, if there's a child that has been bullied, I'll tell them to go out, School and talk to your school or talk to your parents or talk to your friends if they're feeling suicidal you know phone a helpline you've got child line that's been around for a while now you've got silver line for older people you know so th- there are groups out there who support you you know and online you can find them now it's so easy you know you can just tap the samaritans so now you can phone them or you find them online or you've got lgbt switchboard whatever is your problem or whatever community you identify with google it you know, search it online to see, you know, or gay Muslim or Christian being bullied, whatever, you'll, you'll find something, I promise you. It's to go online nowadays, because a lot of people, obviously, we have smartphones and technology, that's why I'm mentioning that. But, yeah. you know, and it's much easier now, you know, to kind of access that support. than it was, say, when I was growing up, we didn't have the internet and such like, you know, occasionally you'd see on the television, oh, the line has started, you know, and whatever you know but then you have to find the phone and you know you don't want your parents to listen or whatever so it was more difficult in those days you know but today with technology what I'm saying is there's a lot of support groups that like the, what I do we're just a small you know part of it you know and that's why you know um, I started my work and I continue to do my work is to support others and there's so many support groups for whatever you're experiencing whatever community you're from be it if it's racial or you know to do sexuality you know whatever your problem is you know, be depression, mental health. You know, nowadays we have so many different weeks that we are mental health awareness week. And we have we have all these things. And sometimes people say, oh, there's so much going on. But that's because in the past we we didn't really address it as a society. We didn't address mental health well-being issues. We didn't address you know, issues pertaining to sexuality or race. And look where it's brought us. You know, it's brought us to this point. You know, and now we have a much more open society. And we are making changes through be social media and it's about meeting it's not just about social media it's about meeting people too sometimes you might need to talk to someone one to one you know so talking therapies can help sometimes or just talking to someone doesn't have to be you know um, you know in a counselling setting you know sometimes you have talking to a friend or if you're part of a support group a wider network where you can chat you can go to you know certain organisations will have that facility where you can chat Do you know any
1: any specific organisations that people can go to just just to throw the information out there for the people, do you know any, any, anywhere any well, like people mine. can go to?
0: Mine do a lot work with mental health awareness. Yeah. And I know mine, they're all over the UK. And they do re- great work when they do their workshops and such like. And they have, you know, um, kind of uh, different um, bases all around um, the country. So that's one that pops to mind. And then you have the LGBT switchboard. You know, they, um, you have Gallup. We can report hate crime from LGBT point of view. You have the LGBT switchboard. We can phone if you're feeling down. Uh, but like I said, mine that you got, you know, childline for young people who are experiencing problems. They can phone them. You know, they can find the number online. So yeah, there's you know, a plethora of groups out there uh, that you can access. You know, and have who actually have those interactive services. Like mine, they have workshops and they do you know activities for people who are experiencing mental health issues. And you can actually go to their centres and they have counselling too. You know, I've seen the great work they do because I've been there because they do this LGBT workshop and that's why I went because, you know, my interest was in that learning about, you know, how to engage with, you know, um, the LGBT community who are experiencing mental wellbeing issues. You know, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening out there, you know, um, and you have to, you know, just, uh, find out where you go on the internet. But nowadays, at least you've got that. At least you can Google, you know, um, yeah. such information
1: if he wasn't doing this, what do you think you would be doing?
0: Do you know what? I'd be just full-time working in the media, you know, um, be it, you know, writing, um, um, like before, like I said, you know, I worked in media production. I worked in all aspects of media production, being editing, writing, filming, I did everything, you know, and, you know, I continue to do so. And I'd be, yeah, I'd be working, you know, I worked in the theatre before, you know, um, you know, I, I write extensively, you know, um, fiction and non-fiction, prose, poetry. So, yeah, I'd be doing something um, in the creative industries, for sure, you know, and I'd be doing that full-time. The activism work is a kind of, you know, taking me in a, another direction, but in one way, I try to kind of amalgamate my skills as well. You know, there's a crossover. So I use some of my skills, you know, for um, different non-profit organizations, you know, that promote mental health or LGBT issues. And not just LGBT, like, their charity or non-profit organization, irrespective of what kind of form I try to help them if I can with my media skills, free of charge. I've done that in the past and I continue to do so, you know, uh, wherever I can, you know, be in PR, communications, you know, behind the scenes, you know, any media work, you know, so I I do that. Yeah, you know, I would have been doing that, but I just felt that kind of, um, you know, the LGBT work, um, it doesn't take precedence over my other work, but obviously I need that media work to kind of sustain uh, me financially carry me otherwise I would not be able to really do the work I do but um, LGBT work took over because for so long I was telling other people's stories through media if you know what I mean you know I was the guy behind the camera or behind the scenes and someone said to me once why don't you talk about your own story because you always you know
1: yeah you you, you have you know, a story yeah and,
0: and that's why I started doing you know in kind of in recent years it was more about you know that kind of that's why now if you, if you google me it comes up with all my you know, activism stuff mainly, you know, at first. Uh, you know, but then you'll see the other, you know, the media stuff. In, initially, my inlays into it was the media work. So, I, you know, I balance it now. What I mean is, you know, my media work cross, crosses over into my activism work. Yeah. You know, and I can promote it, you know. And always have got the media skills, you know, so I, get, I can network and stuff like that, you know. And that's where now I talk about my own experiences, where previously it was me highlighting other people's experiences.
1: See... If there is one thing that people, tell us one thing that people don't know about you that you would like to share on the Ask People podcast that you don't usually say on any other interviews that you've had, so people get to know who you are better, what would you say?
0: Well, just that I'm a normal human being like everyone else, that, you know, um, apart from all the work I do um, in one way, that... It is so normal. My life is so normal, like everybody else. I have up days and down days and, you know, that's the part I don't talk about. Normally I'm talking about my work, my media work or my activism work, you know, which are certain facets of my personality. But in reality, I'm just a normal person like everybody else who has same issues and same fears and aspirations. You know, and that part of it, I don't get through because in many ways, you know, you're, I'm always promoting something, a campaign or, you know, I'm working, you know, on a media project, you know, so I have to be up. be have to be, that's my job. Like if I worked, you know, and I've done those jobs before, like i worked in a shop and, you know, i worked in a factory and I've done those jobs. So I know how that feels for any job. You can't go there with your problems, your emotional baggage, in it? you have to be there as a human being. So it's like for me, one thing I would say, just, you know, I'm just like you. You, uh, Xavier, or your listeners, uh, we're all the same. Irrespective of what job we do, let's respect each other. It was like, like I said, I came from working class, now. I'm still working class, I've done those jobs. You know, it's just I feel like everyone else. And maybe that's something, uh, you, you know, that I should you know, put forward, like you said, now, that to explain to people that other people might not know. It's that I'm just a human being, and I have the same fears and aspirations and same worries, you know, like everybody else does. And people like me you might be in a privileged position and other people think that we've got it all together. No, we haven't. You know, it's the human condition, you know, to, you know, want to strive, you know, to do better and come to terms with your situation or try, you know, to come um, um, uh, come to terms with your own circumstance. It's that really, don't, many people might think that me, and it's people like me that, oh, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm just a human being and that, you know, maybe sometimes, particularly my work, I'm not, it didn't always come across because someone would say, oh, you're courageous, you're fearless, you're out, and I think, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not courageous or fearless, you know, I have the same butterflies in my stomach or anticipation when I'm on a march or a campaign or, you know, and, or even doing my media work, I met so many different people, you know, you learn a job, you learn to be a certain way and you try to improve yourself, but we're all human beings, Yeah, you know, that's That's how I would say that, you know, that. I, people don't see that side of me. And, you know, and I hope, you know, um, because normally it would be private. You know, someone, my partner would see that side of me, or my family, you know, my immediate family, my mother, my sisters, you know, people close, like you would be the same, you know, yeah. our close circle see you, but not everyone else does. Yeah, And some, you can't always put your guard down because it's hard, especially in a professional environment. But just to let know, like today, you know, speaking to you, that, yeah, you know, I'm just a human being just like everyone else.
1: You seem so. The the one thing I admire is that when people do come on the Ask People podcast, they they do something that they don't normally do with other people, and that is let their guard down with me. And I think that is an exceptional, beautiful thing to be able to do that with me. So, Ijela, I want to thank you so much for doing that. Um, because a lot of people will not do that and, and share their experiences, like share share what they do, how they do it with me. So I want to thank you for doing that.
0: Well, thank you. And you know, you've got a lot to do with it. You know, you, you and your work you do, highlighting would work in the community your personality your compassion that comes across and that's why I did it you know I'm not just brown nosing you I'm not just doing this for media purposes I mean it from what my heart because I know because I re- I listen to your podcast you know I, I'm aware of you in the media the work you've done and the work you continue to do to highlight people doing work you know in different arenas and it's because of you I feel people can't let the guard down and talk because you've got that personality you've got that skill where your compassion your humanity comes across and I want to say that to the viewers that you know you genuinely rock you know thank you so much so yeah.
1: that you. actually humbled me so much right now no. No, I mean <laughs> I- it, you know. that's really Bless kind you. of you finally i want you to do something for me i want you to plug yourself as much as you can so that people can find you literally on any social media you have i want you to show people where you are because you are a beautiful soul and I want people to be able to connect with you in, in any way that they feel possible, because I know you've given me a compliment by saying all the things that you've said. But like I'm saying now, without people who have compassion like us, I don't think we will be able to have movements like we do. Um, Absolutely. So, so plug it to me, Joe. Plug yeah. your all your social medias, yeah. your LinkedIn, well, your Instagram, yeah. your Facebooks.
0: Yeah, I'm on all, all of that, as E. Khan, E-J-E-L Khan, N. I'm on like you said LinkedIn, um Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Ejil Khan, um E J E L K H A N. Uh and there um my organization's on is on all those um platforms as well, uh because all there are links to like um Muslim LGBT network is on Facebook, Twitter. Um it's, I've got a link on my Instagram page. As well, and on Facebook, we have a Facebook page. So, you know, Muslim LGBT com is our website, but there's links to our website on all social media. So, if you just go on Muslim LGBT network, you'll find if you um, search it in any social media platform, you'll find it Muslim LGBT network, you know, and you'll find links to my own website as well, and It's got a lot of my writings, my work. That i've done and and this is a lot of my media work it's not just my activism work it's mainly my this is my own personal site uh, dot and it's got my writings there so some of the articles i've written some of the poetry prose fiction nonfiction, all my work as well
1: guys please go check your gel out because i know that you won't be disappointed in his work. Joe, again, thank you so much for coming on the Ask People podcast and thank you listeners for listening to the Ask People podcast and please remember, you can subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play and any other platform that you prefer to listen to please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you can also donate to the Ask People podcast on the Savio Rocks website or you can simply go into your PayPal account and type in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast thank you so much and stay happy stay positive and as always continue to be kind to one another